0: Welcome back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronke. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and have been longing to see reformation happen in our denomination for a long time. And we realize that whenever reformation has happened throughout the history of the church, things get messy. So we are taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in the CRC, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. I also want to take an opportunity to say thanks to everyone who's been faithfully listening each week. I want to give a special thanks for those of you who sent us Encouragement over the last couple of weeks. It means a lot, so thank you. And I want to keep encouraging you who are listening to this podcast and benefiting from this podcast, keep getting the word out. We want to see these conversations spread throughout the CRC, and the best way to do that is through word of mouth. So share it with your friends and share it with anybody who you think would benefit. If you haven't already, Take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. We've been dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's show where we interview Trevor Mao.
1: All
0: right, so Trevor, why don't you uh, kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then uh, what you do uh, for a living
1: Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Trevor Mao, and I'm uh, a, a resident of Sioux Center, Iowa. I have lived here pretty much my whole life, uh, except for a small stint uh, when I went to Iowa State to become a teacher. Um, and so, my I live in Sioux Center, Iowa. Uh, I go to Faith CRC in Sioux Center, Iowa. Um, Pastor Bob Palma there, and um, yeah, my my family has gone to multiple churches around here, but pretty much been in the CRC my entire life. Um, you know, I've I've been listening to your podcast, and I've been hearing uh, a lot of people who have come in to the CRC. Uh, and you know, my my story is here in Northwest Iowa, in Sioux Center, Iowa. You know, I've I've always been um, technically I was baptized in an RCA church, but uh, for most of my life, I've been a member of a CRC denomination. Uh, I work at, I work at Orange City. I work at Unity Christian High School in Orange City, Iowa, and I teach Bible there. So I, I teach Old Testament covenants to all the freshmen, and I teach reform doctrine and devotion to the juniors, and I teach defending the faith to the seniors.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I like being able to have someone who's, uh, who has grown up in the CRC uh, their whole life? Because yeah, I've actually been surprised as I've been interviewing pastors, how many of them have come into the CRC later in life. So you and Willie are close. Willie was baptized in the CRC and has spent his whole life in the CRC too. So yeah, I'm so, a lifer. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good thing. We we appreciate that. So yeah, my
1: family the, has a long history um, with you know with the CRC. Uh, my my grandparents and great grandparents, uh, belonging to to the CRC, you know, first CRC here in in Sioux Center, um, coming from the Netherlands. And, uh, it was wonderful. I actually, I've been doing a lot of genealogy research just because that's fascinating and, um, found ancestors in, uh, Elspate in Gelderland in Netherlands. Uh, and, you know, so as far back as, as I can go, as far back as they have the last name of Mao, um, this, you know, my ancestor was a, uh, church master at a dutch reformed congregation you know in 1600 right right when it must have been starting and so long long history uh in dutch reformed churches and you know that's cool i'm very proud of that
0: yeah that's awesome yeah i i also like doing genealogy so i yeah. but i'm not back into the 1600s with ours yet because i don't know dutch well enough to figure that out quite <laughs> yeah. yet but yeah but we're been... back into the 1700s and uh my my ancestors are from Gelderland as well. So we're oh, kind wonderful. of from the same kind of area. Yeah. Nuns Pete. Oh,
1: yeah. That's very yeah. close to Elspate. That's very close, yeah. actually. That's probably like 10 minutes away. Um, wow. I w- so uh, I actually have been there and to Elspate. Um, really? Be- yeah, because I, I went to Israel for a month for a geography class, uh, which was an amazing, awesome experience. Um, but on the way, I kind of scheduled a lengthy layover in netherlands and amsterdam uh, and took a train out to the middle of netherlands and, and uh, had to go through nun in order to get to l um and so just you know cute little quaint towns in there and um went to this uh i had actually attended a, an evening church service um and when i got there it was everyone in suits and the women wearing hats and uh, i realized pretty quickly you know kind of where i was in this but um Didn't understand a word of the 45 minute long sermon, but, uh, you know, they, when they sang every single syllable was a whole note. Uh, and so, so I could actually keep along with the singing. Um, they gave me one of their little pocket hymnals or Bibles or whatever. Uh, and so, because I only had to pronounce, you know, one Dutch syllable, I could sing along with them. That was quite the, (laughs) quite the experience.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, I was just talking to Willie a few weeks ago, I just got done reading um, a, a biography of Herman Bovink. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fascinated because a lot of where he was growing up and doing ministry was right in that same area, actually within 1015 miles of where my family was. And then I told him I read in there, I haven't figured out if I'm related, but Herman Bovink's daughter married a rice one. Mm-hmm. So someone whose name is spelled like mine. And I thought, well, I wonder if they married somebody I'm related to or not. But there's a lot of Rices actually in the Netherlands. So it's not, uh,
1: yeah. In the United
0: States, in the United States, if their last name is spelled R U I S and pronounced <laughs> and pronounced Rice, I guarantee you I'm related to them. But in the <laughs> Netherlands, not so much.
1: Yeah. I'm absolutely one of the people who saw you online and saw your last name and assumed that you were Hispanic.
0: I uh, And and you're not alone in that. I get that from everybody. I've said all of my when I turned 18, all of my stuff from the military came in Spanish, which is kind of crazy because I I mean, um, but yeah, we get we regularly get free subscriptions to Hispanic magazines. And I mean, they just come. It's I don't know. I I find it funny. So yeah, everybody assumes that I'm Hispanic, but no, my Dutch roots go deep.
1: Yeah, and as as soon as you said it, you know it makes sense, right? Like Heis, you know, like Heisman, uh, and you see that you know pronunciation with the U I S. So I
2: get it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So cool. So you've been um, you've been a school teacher for
1: how long again now, Trevor? Uh, this is my ninth year of being a high school teacher. I started teaching English and uh, um, switched over to to Bible about four years ago. Um, and actually, the, you know, the story is a little interesting. I don't know how interesting, but, um, I, so I, I was a English teacher and a guidance counselor. Um, and you know, I, I'd grown up in the church my whole life and uh, have always been, you know, very interested in, in the Bible and theology, but, uh, I have to say about five years ago or so, maybe getting closer to six now, um, there was a period when it, it was really eating at me that I, you know, had considered myself a Christian and never Read through the entire Bible, uh, so I, you know, I made a goal, one of those Bible in a year plans, and uh, actually stuck with it. And but somewhere in there, and I don't know where, somewhere along that process, the Holy Spirit just grabbed hold of my heart uh, and just completely changed me. You know, all of my interests, the things that uh, I used to care about, were you know were were changed. Um, now you know I was I was obsessed with reading the Bible and with reading theology and studying theology, you know, some of the sins, some of the significant sins, you know, that I've struggled with for, for a decade uh, just ended. Um, not all of them, obviously, but yeah. but some of them just, to, you know, and to the point where, like, if people ask, not that they would, but if, if people ask me what I, you know, did to, to combat those sins or to stop them, you know, I can't give a good answer because I didn't do anything god did it it was uh it wouldn't have happened without if the holy spirit hadn't been the one taking control Amen. Uh, and so so yeah my my dive into theology uh, was becoming evident to everyone to my family um, to the people that i work with and um, i was able to kind of slowly transition into teaching a bible class and then when our bible teacher retired uh, i applied for the position uh, and you know based kind of solely on upside and, uh, what they knew about me. Cause I didn't have a Bible degree. Right. Uh, mm. they, they gave me that position. Um, since then I got my master's in Bible and theology from Sioux Falls seminary, uh, and, you know, feel more, you know, less imposter syndrome than I used to, <laughs> but yeah, I've been teaching Bible now at unity for four years and it's been absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. It's, I love hearing that. Um, because i think we all have one of the an experience similar to that i do i know um i know willie does as well where we had this moment where it seemed like god just flipped a switch
1: yeah absolutely and um, i i don't necessarily want to say that it was my conversion right like my regeneration um because that would you know mean that that i wasn't regenerated i wasn't really christian before that uh and maybe you know maybe cuz it was that strong that that maybe it was my conversion. Um, but I, I just like to call it my jump in sanctification. Yep.
2: Mm.
0: Yep. I, I've described it the same way. I, I had the same experience. I was about 22, 23. And uh, it was so strong for me as well, that I went through a period of time where I questioned whether I was regenerated prior to that. Yep. Um, but then I can look back, I can mm. look back on my life before that and see how God was at work in my life, but I've described it, that period of time was God just pouring fertilizer Mm. on my Mm -hmm. faith, and uh, it just exploded. And uh, it started, I I don't remember if I've told this on a podcast before or not, but it started with a a rebuke from a podcast, actually. Mm. I was listening to um, Greg Steer, who's the leader of uh, dare to share ministries. And so it was, he was a popular youth pastor, uh, a youth ministry kind of guy. And he said, you know, you youth pastors, and he was a youth pastor, but he said, you youth pastors need to start reading hard books. And, uh, and he said, stop being a pansy and read a hard book. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember thinking, Oh boy, that, that hurts. Cause I wasn't a reader at the time. I hadn't really, I, I wasn't really reading hard books. Mm. And so I went out and grabbed Calvin's Institutes then. Okay, well, I'll grab her hard book then. (laughs) into the uh, deep end. I did, yeah. That's kind of how I roll. I'd kind of jump in with both feet. Um, But anyways, reading Calvin's Institutes, uh, my heart just was on fire for theology and God's word. And then I just started diving into God's word more. And it's kind of been going ever since. Willie, you've had a similar experience, right?
2: Um, yeah, I would say so. Mine, I probably would describe as my conversion experience. Uh, That was, oh my goodness, Jason, that was probably 10 years ago, pretty close to the month too. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it is close to the same month. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is pretty close. Uh, That was at a uh, winter retreat for the youth group. And it was my senior year in high school. And at that point, I was kind of in my more wild phase, uh, party phase that I'd fell into in high school. High school, I was a wild child for a little bit, <laughs> and uh, Jason can attest to some of this too. Uh, I remember at that retreat, the theme was deception. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that was the theme of the whole retreat. And the thing that I picked out from that retreat the most is the longer that you spend surrounding yourself around the lies that this world has to offer, then the harder it becomes to pick out the truth. Uh, that is in the world, that is revealed by God. Um, And the more you spend time in and around truth, the easier it then becomes to pick out the lies. And at that point, I'd grown up in the church my whole life, you know, baptized in the CRC, attended church, attended youth group, even attended a Christian school. I had the three-legged stool. Um, (laughs) But the lie that I couldn't live anymore was that I could do all of those things without being regenerate, Without being a Christian. Uh, and it was that that same weekend where I I did give my life to Christ. And thanks be to God, He's led me where I am.
0: Yeah, Amen. And it's been fun walking with you um mm. through all of that as well. And uh and even um I always kind of push back on John Calvin had a similar experience. Um, when you read through his uh description, I forget, I think it's in his commentary on the Psalms, maybe Psalm 45. I don't remember. But anyways, he talks about this experience that a lot of people say he's describing his conversion experience Mm -hmm. and maybe it maybe it is but as i read through his description of what he's describing and i talk to people like you trevor and i talk listen to my own story and other pastors um i feel like he's just describing this moment where god grabbed hold of him and gave him a passion to study his word and all of that i don't think it wasn't that he wasn't regenerated before that and it possibly could. It be, could be connected like with Willie, where his regeneration and his passion for God's word and theology were tied together. But mm-hmm. but it's throughout history, it's kind of been um something where God grabs hold of someone and uh and gives them a passion. So it's 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 good to hear that. One of the things I want to ask you, because um, you know, normally we're interviewing pastors and you're not a pastor. And so I've got some of the similar, some similar questions I want to ask you, but I do want to ask you a couple other ones, especially since you're working with teenagers. Um, First, are most of the teenagers in your Christian school, are they going to CRC churches?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in Northwest Iowa, we're, we're very blessed here, you know, very blessed with Christian education and uh, options for that. Um, And so within my Christian high school, the majority of our CRC, they go to CRC Church. We have um, probably 85% CRC, so a significant majority. Uh, we do have, you know, a bunch of of RCA and um, some URC as well. Probably each, you know, close to five ish percent, um, somewhere around there, 10%. Um, and so that's, you know, somewhere in Dutch Reformed land is the vast, vast majority. Uh, you know, and then. You know, two or three Lutherans, some uh, non-denominational Baptists, uh, but absolutely, vast majority are CRC. Yeah, and so I was kind of assuming that because I know the Sioux
0: Center area, yeah. and Orange City area. Um, so what I normally ask pastors, I'll ask you this eventually, I ask about the strengths and the weaknesses of the CRC, but, but I want to take it down and just ask, what are some of the strengths you see amongst the teenagers in the CRC that you're interacting with? And then maybe some of the concerns that you see as well. But why don't you start off with some of the strengths. As you're interacting with teenagers in the CRC, what are some of the strengths you see there?
1: Sure. Uh, and, you know, remember, I'm I'm fully aware of kind of the blessing of what we have here in Northwest Iowa. Uh, and so, I, you know, I'm not sure uh, how representative our students are compared to CRC students in you know high schools around America. You know, I, I did go to Dorton. Obviously, met a whole bunch of you know former CRC Christian Ed people, right, and uh, you know found found a lot of of similar types of students. So you know, I'm going to guess there is some you know extrapolability, extrapolability you know, in this. But uh, so the the strengths of of the youth that I found is um, you know excellent parents, right, parents who have been bringing them up, uh, bringing them to church. Um, faithful, you know, church service attendants um, have been bringing them up in the word, right? You mentioned the three-legged stool earlier, right? Uh, and so, you know, absolutely seeing that uh, in our students that, um, you know, this this really good knowledge of the Bible, um, you know, or a really good knowledge of Bible stories, right? Part of the, the issue is, you know, how can they connect it to the overall theme, you know, and are are they, you know, picking up the, the broader narrative and, you know, seeing Christ in everything, and so, you know, that's a, a key focus, obviously, of, of what we do in high school, is, you know, bringing them to that, that next level of just, you know, not just Sunday school stories, but how it all works together, but um, nevertheless, you know, a really strong foundation, strong foundation in the Word, uh, very supportive parents, um, very supportive pastors, uh, and, you know, this is, this is whether they're CRC, URC, RCA, Uh, pretty, pretty fairly consistent with that. Um, So that's absolutely one of the strengths that I see.
0: Yeah, that's good. And then so uh, I'll just dive in and ask you the next one too, then what Mm -hmm. are some of the concerning things you're seeing there then with the teenagers in the, I mean, CRC in general, but that Mm -hmm. you're dealing with in your school?
1: Right. Um, You know, my concern is for for these youth is is based on my concern for the CRC in general, right? Um, which is, you know, this, this kind of leaving uh, the confessional tradition, and, you know, moving in towards a uh, more, you know, generally evangelical type of, of flavor, uh, losing some of the distinctives, you know, the, the weaknesses of this generation are, um, you know, a a low understanding and knowledge of the three forms of unity, right. Of our confessions. Um, They, you know, they can all tell you, they can all tell you word for word, what Heidel, what Heidelberg question and answer one or one says, right. But I don't know if they could tell you what number two is about, you know, and so, which is
0: way shorter.
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this, this kind of low knowledge, um, among, not all, but among many, about what it actually means to be reformed um, and the high prevalence of, of the influence of a, of a cultural American Christianity, right? This this non-denominational, uh, baptistic flavor of, you know, semi-Pelagian, um, you know, and so, because this is what they hear, you know, from so many and even some of the language that well-meaning Reform people use right, about you know about just you know, the, the the not reformedness right the the choosing um, you know the altar calls you know these type of things that um, that is so prevalent in you know modern American Christianity uh, and and one of the things that I'm finding with these high school students is that you know, they are looking for answers, right? Which is which is a strength. They're they're going out and they're asking the tough questions uh, and they're looking for answers. Um, but one of my concerns about the Christian Reformed Church is that they're not getting those answers, right? Amen, that, yeah. It, is that people aren't brave enough to stand up and to give them the answers. Uh, and so you have all of these high school students, all these young people, you know, who are, you know, they are getting... Pummeled and bombarded so much more than maybe even we are currently, definitely more than we were at that age. You know, their access to the internet, you know, what they see and find on Snapchat and TikTok and um and Twitter, you know, they're they are already fully confronted with the world. Uh and so, you know, and so they're looking out, right? They're looking to their parents, they're looking to their teachers, you know, and they're asking, what do we do? Right? Like, what's the truth? What's the answer here? Um, you know, and there's there's always that sense which you want people to to come to the answers you know on their own, um, but I, I do think that it's it's concerning that they look out and ask these questions and aren't getting answers from their parents you know aren't getting answers from their teachers uh, because you know what maybe the, the parents you know themselves don't know the answer uh, but what I've come to find is that it's more often that they're unconfident in their answer not that they mm-hmm. don't know the answer. Um, but that they're, they don't quite have the confidence to say, you know, yes, this is it, right? The, you know, this world that we live in is the water that we swim in is this relativism, you know, this subjectivism. Uh, and so, you know, saying one thing is true and another thing is false uh, is just so contrary to, to the world that they're growing up in. And, um, and that makes it hard for, you know, for them and for their parents to, to stand on that truth. Um, and so that that's a big concern, right? That yeah. that we have adults, you know, who are giving these relativistic answers, these you know these cop out answers, in my opinion. Um, and and one of the things that I like to say about high school students is that you know, peak adolescents that age, right, psychologically, they are you know, so attuned to hypocrisy, right? They're like detective. <clears throat> they're detectives of hypocrisy, and they they sniff it out in an instant. Um, you know, because they're so ideological, plus they're, you know, learning these truths. Um, And so, you know, what they see then is they see all these adults who say to them that the Bible is God's word, right, that the Bible is authoritative truth. Um, But then when push comes to shove, they aren't acting like it, right? These parents aren't acting like it. Uh, And so they see that and they realize the hypocrisy. And so they start to wonder, is, is it actually truth, right? Like, these, these adults aren't living with that conviction uh, and if they're you know if they're scared to do that, then how could I do that?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think you really nailed it um, nailed it on the head back when you were talking about some of the strengths and you corrected yourself, which I thought was good. you said oh I, these kids really know the Bible and you said, well, they know the Bible stories yeah. and I thought that's exactly it. Um, I feel like that's been one of my one of my frustrations over the years has been we've we've done a good job of teaching our kids very generically the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, And then when it comes toward diving deeper and, and grounding things, it's the adults that I got pushed back saying, ah, that's just too that's too hard for them. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. They're not, you know, they don't ever quite say it that way, because that would be, I suppose, offensive. But they just kind of say, well, they're, they're just not quite smart enough for that. And uh, oh, that drove me nuts, um, because the reality is these teenagers are super smart.
1: Yeah, it drives I mean, them we're teaching nuts, them, right? Like, it, it drives we've got... them nuts that we would, we would talk to them and, and converse with them as if they were you know, not able or not wanting to have these conversations, because it's my experience as a Bible teacher uh, in high school that, you know, they're already having these conversations, and they are longing for these conversations, right? Because they want to, they want to pick it apart, they want to go through the alternatives, and they, you know, they want to hear uh, the answers.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And they, um. And they're sick and tired of not being treated seriously, right? There's, oh, yeah. oh, there's yeah. this idea, you know, and I get, you know, teenager, I've got teenagers in my own house. And so they drive me crazy a little bit <laughs> because they they think they need to be taken more seriously than they maybe should be taken seriously sometimes. But the fact that we try to downplay their ability to understand theology, it's, it's crazy to me. I mean, I've my kids, well, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, Willie and I, um in our youth ministry, we walked kids through Burkhoff's systematic theology. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh they ate it up and we dove really deep um in this, and we had seventh through twelfth graders going through it, and they yeah. uh they loved it. it. It wasn't um it wasn't, I mean, it was hard work and uh mm-hmm. and not every they didn't get everything, obviously, but but they did eat it up, and they felt really grounded in their faith, and they appreciated. One of the biggest things I heard is they appreciated that we took them seriously enough to go through it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Burkoff Ber- is a, a perfect use. You know, it's it, it's it's hard, but it's not you know it's not Bavin, it's it's not Calvin. It's it's much more down to earth and understandable. Um, you know, I, one of the resources I use big with uh, my doctrine and devotion class is Michael Horton's Pilgrim Theology. Oh yeah. Um, which is, which is maybe, you know, freshman in college level. Uh, but, but, you know, they aren't reading it. We're kind of, you know, we're going through it. And, um, actually the, the textbook that we technically use is, uh, um, R.C. Sproul's everyone's a theologian.
2: Oh, so yeah. good.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, but behind the scenes I'm using a lot of, of pilgrim theology. Uh, but yeah, you know, the, these kids, they're ready for these big conversations. Um, another thing that uh, that just kind of came to me is there's also this kind of other side where um, some people maybe some teachers some well-meaning people you know want to you know want to say that that these kids need to think for themselves critically uh, and and therefore we shouldn't be teaching them doctrines reform doctrines right because that would be you know not not letting them be be critical and coming to coming to it on their own, but rather us, you know, indoctrinating them or telling them what to do, um, which which I think is kind of you know the flip side of of not giving them enough credit, right? Because you know one of the things that I found, it, you know, I used to never tell kids my beliefs when I was a teacher, um, but what I found is when I started, it's it wasn't like the entire class would just oh, you know, Mr. Mao said that, and so now I'm going to believe it, right? Because you know. They they took it and they said, oh, okay. And then they kept going, doing their own thing, right? They kept, you know, digging through this stuff themselves. And so they can, you know, we should be telling them what this traditional reform theology believes, uh, and then, you know, giving them that that baseline that they could start looking out at, you know, other denominations, other belief, and making, coming to conclusions on their own, instead of rather, well, let's water down everything and let them you know sift through it and sort through it uh but you know but
0: yeah they aren't and i would it. yeah well and, and one of the things that we did and and that i tried to do is i would actually walk our kids through both sides of the issue and so i would mm-hmm. lay out the you know when we talked about baptism i would lay out a believers only mm-hmm. baptism argument And then I would lay out the the infant baptism argument. And then I would explain. I would explain why I think our, obviously, why I hold to this and why I think it's stronger. But we would have a a conversation about that. And even when we talked about, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, or whatever, Mm -hmm. predestination, all Mm -hmm. of that, I would lay out both sides to help them. Because the reality is, if you only lay out one side of the argument, you're not fully grounding them in how why they believe what they believe you're giving them one side and that's good and helpful but then they're not even fully equipped when somebody starts pushing back against against it and so um, I have I've found it helpful to try to do both to do both and, and help equip them actually what we would do is as we got done. Um, so we broke so Burkoff is broke into six mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. sections, which works nice for seventh through twelfth graders. So you have them for six years, you work oh, yeah. through a section. Um, and then what we would do at the end of the, the week, um, we would have kids debate one another. And so they'd have to take an opposing position. A couple kids would have to take an opposing position to what we taught, and some would have to, and they'd have to argue with each other a little bit, um, so that they could understand how someone would argue back. And, and, and it, it was funny. They never wanted to do the debate because it did a lot of work, but by the time they got done, it was the highlight of the week. Um, oh, yeah. they, they really appreciated it. So yeah, before we I, made the
2: seniors debate us.
0: Yeah. The seniors mm-hmm. got to debate Willie and I, so we really put the screws to them.
1: <laughs> yeah. But before I kind of explain one of the things that we do, um, I just want to say that Burkoff is an excellent text for that, right? Because he goes through alternatives um, mm-hmm. when he's doing that, right? He'll give the Reformed, he'll get, or the Lutheran, he'll give the Catholic view um, before Correct. he get, gives that Reformed thing. So, you know, that, that's a good text for that. But uh, with, a, so in our school, one of the things that we use, that I use a lot is uh, Socratic seminars. Um, and so, you know, these, these question-based seminars where, you know, where we have smaller groups and, um, you know, we practice discussion and and um, what's needed and, and how to do that respectfully. And um, you know and they you know they they love that right they love the Socratic seminars they love being able to just discuss this um, you know they love not having to sit to listen to me lecture and yep. you know getting in on it themselves
0: yeah and that we did uh, some. what we did um, before I would ever talk about a doctrine I would actually give them about 10 15 scriptures to go through as, so Mm -hmm. they'd sit at a table group and then they would read through these different Bible passages. And I would give them ones that would maybe, you know, so if we're talking about predestination, I would give them passages that talked about all God desiring all to be saved and things like that. Right. Choose this day, whatever, some of the ones that come up and then I'd mix those in and they'd have to have a conversation about it first as a group and try to figure out what the Bible's teaching through these passages. And then we would get to the doctrine part. And I thought that was really helpful in one grounding them in scriptures, our main authority, Yep. Um, but also it, it forced them to wrestle on their own a little bit with these things. And, and the reality is, I think we all know that w- the the truths that we wrestle with are the ones that we remember and that we hold on to, which is why, um, not to get on a too much of a tangent, but which is why I think like Google is destroying our memories because we, we want a question, we put it in Google, we get the answer quickly and we, oh, there, I got it. And then we lose the answer as quickly as we got it. But some of the things that, the things that I've really, that they're that stuck in my head are those issues that I've had to wrestle with. Um, like, like baptism and all of that. I, I didn't, I was actually one of those teenagers that grew up in the CRC or at least went to high school in the CRC and graduated knowing the Bible stories, but knowing nothing about our theology. And so I graduated um, thinking that believers' baptism was the only way. I I was a functioning Arminian. I I didn't understand any of our doctrines. And so I had to wrestle through them um, over the years to kind of come to a position. But because I wrestled through them. Now I, I feel really, I stand firm where I'm at mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I remember the scriptures and, and how, to, how to put the argument together. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Trevor Mao. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in and try to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life on your doctrine, preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.